0: Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier Podcast. It's your boy, Mac. Joining me today is my friend and co-host, Corey Walsh. How you doing, Corey? I'm depressed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I have not recovered since the Kevin Love departure, but that's besides the point.
2: (laughs) Also joining us today is Tony Pesta of Fear the Sword. Tony, what's good, my brother? What's up, guys? Uh, Thanks for having me on. I'm a little depressed myself, but starting to recover a little bit. I've had a few days to work through the emotions, so that makes one of us. <laughs> Let me tell you, the the discourse
0: in regards to Kevin Love now because I feel like even myself, I feel like I'm a little guilty of this of having like wine and gold tinted glasses in regards to Kevin right now because it's it's like a relationship at points, you know, you you go through ups, you go through downs and at the end of it um if you end things amicably you can remember, you know, if you had a, a decent relationship, you can go back and look at the totality of said relationship and feel like, hey, this wasn't terrible. <laughs> this wasn't a disaster. This was actually a pretty good relationship. It just didn't work out. For Kevin Love, um, kind of a complicated legacy that he's left here in Cleveland. Um, very much ups, very much downs at times. But, you know, for what it's worth, I feel like what they brought him in for. He accomplished and for him to have outlasted everybody else it's it's hilarious to me through all the trade rumors through all of the uh the, the the links to other teams that he had for him to be the last guy standing to me speaks volumes after nine seasons uh didn't mean to start off the episode with the kevin love rant obviously uh for those of you listening out here but I got to say, man, that is by far the biggest news in town right now. But to circle us back in as we're going here and reflecting on this first half of basketball during the season, we're at the halfway point in the first season following the massive move that was the Donovan Mitchell trade, which sent Colin Sexton, Lowry Marketing, Ochai Baji, and a bevy of picks to the Utah Jazz. And – at this point in time, the Cavs are 38 and 23 and fourth in the Eastern Conference and have the fifth best record in basketball, if I'm not mistaken. They also just sent Donovan Mitchell to the All Star game as a starter. On the flip side of that, the Utah Jazz are 29 and 31, which is good for 11th as of right now in a highly competitive Western Conference. And although they have a losing record, they're in a really good position to snag a spot in the play in tournament and also just sent Lowry Marketing. Although he was the last pick in that All-Star draft, which I found hilarious, just as a side note, uh, to the All-Star game in a season in which I am absolutely positive that no one outside of maybe Salt Lake City thought that he would be there. So question number one, Tony, I'm going to go to you since you're our guest. Is it safe to say so far that the trade has benefited both sides or do you think it's too early to comment on?
2: No, I think uh, pretty much immediately, almost you could say, r- regardless of who you're a fan of, whether you're a Mitchell guy, Laurie, you know, even Sexton, like I feel like everyone in this deal has won. It, it's really as close to a win win as you can get. I think the only reservation Cash fans have maybe is letting go of marketing just because I think in a perfect world where somehow he's still on this roster, that like completes everything. But regardless, I mean, Mitchell has been from the very jump, a superstar, he's embraced the city. He's given us even more than I've expected. I knew he was good. And this is what a lot of people within the team have said, even JB. Like, you know, we knew he was good, but we didn't know he was this good. And we didn't know that he brought all this extra stuff with him in terms of just being an incredible leader, a mentor, a a role model, even though he is technically kind of part of the young core. I feel like he's the more mature one of the bunch. And like, he really has, especially not to bring back Kevin Love but especially with Love gone like Mitchell's kind of the adult in the room a lot of the times now so yeah I think it's hard to be anything other than satisfied with how the trade went down and and with where we're at right now with Mitchell leading the way
0: I think that's completely fair to say, you know, just looking at things from top down. Corey, I know we've talked about this a few times, but now that we have the benefit of half a season's worth of tape, uh, you know, in in the Cavs' favor, what what are your thoughts on this at this time?
1: Yeah, I think this will go down as one of the more equal trades of the past decade, yeah. Definitely more even than past superstar trades we have seen. I mean, the only one where the team who traded away the superstar that got more back was probably the Oklahoma City uh, Clippers trade with the funder the getting all the Clippers picks plus a top 15 player in the league in SGA. Now, the Jazz didn't necessarily get that, but you could argue they have one of the top 10 players playing this season in Larry Markkinen as he's playing as well as anybody could have ever expected coming out of the Cavs. And it was constantly reiterated throughout All-Star Weekend of how Lowry just feels like this was the right fit at the right time. I mean, he's basically locked in to get most improved player at this point. I mean, no one else is going to have a 10 points per game increase unless someone just pulls it out of their ass for the last half, like 25 games of the year. But from the Cavs' perspective, um, with, with what you gave up, you would certainly hope to get a lot in return, and Mitchell has definitely fit the bill. Like Tony said, he's kind of been like the older brother to this young Cavs group, and a lot of people's reservations with the trade was that it was going to affect the development of our core group of Garland, Mobley, and Allen. And Darius has pretty much stayed the same course as last year on better percentages. He hasn't necessarily had to take a back seat as we've seen him at constantly being the one who still stirs the drink for them in terms of passing it around and getting everybody involved. It's just nice to have an upgrade or a release valve that this team didn't have last year. And we were saying time after time that, yeah, Darius is playing out of his mind tonight. And it's really awesome to know that we have an all-star level player in Darius Garland. But it would be really nice if someone else had a pulse on the <laughs> offensive side of the ball. It could allow him to do what he does best because we all know Darius Garland doesn't like to shoot the basketball. It's no secret that he would much rather hand the ball off to his teammates. He's more of a traditional point guard than I think most people think. But at the end of the day, I mean, how could you complain that the Cavs are at a like 50-plus win pace right now for a team that was in the play-in last year? And looks like they could be at this level for the years to come if all the development starts hitting on all sides as every trajectory for these young players is going.
0: What constitutes a successful season for the Cavs, though? I think that's the biggest question in regards to like year one of the Mitchell experience. Do they need to win a first round series in order for this season to feel productive uh, based upon where they ended last season?
1: I feel like any Cavs fan that's kind of just sitting around and is like, deciding what barometer for them is a successful Donovan <laughs> Mitchell trade. I would love for them to realize that we were at this point last year being like, Oh man, we're a lock to be a top team in the East. You can't mess with us. And then suddenly what the, the you carpet we came out. That, Corey? Uh, no, no. Yeah. That'd be weird. <laughs> uh, but it was suddenly like the rug was pulled out from under everyone with all the injuries mounting up. And suddenly the Cavs found themselves facing Brooklyn in the play in only to be followed by getting beat by Trey young and the, play-in game as well so i honestly being a top c top four seed having home court advantage would be really nice but at the end of the day being a competitive team in the east having a good first round playoff series getting these guys actual playoff experience not play-in experience would be a huge win in my book because the east is the better conference i mean all the better teams are on our side outside of obviously the nuggets which we (laughs) I don't know how I necessarily would feel if they face an Eastern conference team in a seven game series, but against the West, I would certainly have them in Phoenix towards the top, but this isn't a Western post Western conference (laughs) podcast. So yeah, I think that's what I would determine
2: as a successful season. Tony, do you share the same sentiment? Yeah, I'm with you there. I think it's, it's really difficult to put any single like objective as this is the thing they need to do in order to consider it a successful season. I don't think there's a certain win number. I would lean towards saying a second round appearance would be like more than enough for me to be happy with them. But I also think it depends on who they match up with in the first round. If they lose in seven games to Miami, for example, I would be disappointed. (laughs) But like that's one where I'm like, well, I wouldn't necessarily say the season was a failure because Miami's a tough playoff team. (laughs) <laughs> why that why I think Miami could beat them. Yeah, is there a reason oh. behind that Miami pick? <laughs> no, I mean, you know, Kevin Love could <laughs> he could have a game against us, but that even before the Kevin Love deal, I think Miami is one of those teams where uh, you know, I just wouldn't want to play them in a seven-game series despite them. I feel confident saying the Cavs are the better team, but the Heat, Jimmy Butler's just one of those he's just a playoff performer. He's just one of those guys where for whatever reason the playoffs are a different beast for him. And I said this earlier on uh, my podcast, but as much as I love and support J.B. Bickerstaff, I don't want to see him go up against Eric Spolstra for seven (laughs) games. I just, that's a tough task for anyone. And I just, I I would rather not have that be their first experience in the playoffs. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, one thing that I was looking at today is, so the Cavs have 21 games left and it's one of the easiest schedules remaining. If they just win 14 of them, that would be, I believe, the eighth best season in franchise history. So it's hard to look. I know some people are saying the season hasn't been as fun as last year because it's not the breakout year and it's it's felt a little up and down. But it's been a wildly successful season already. And again, like Corey said, I think it's very important to remember where we were last year and especially where we were heading into last year because I don't think anyone expected us to make this big of a leap this quickly. From where we were at the start of last season when it felt like the rebuild was kind of sputtering out and we were hoping Evan Mobley would change it and he has been incredible but then you get the Garland breakout Allen breaks out you add Donovan Mitchell and this team is just in an incredible position for the future. Absolutely. I mean, it's not even just the the wins losses for the Cavs either. And when you
0: you have to take into account the, the, the upheaval that was the Eastern Conference in the offseason, there was so much transition that a lot of teams got better. A lot of teams added pieces, teams added pieces at the deadline, which was a huge point of contention for Cavaliers fans. And speaking of that, the Cavs were not exactly busy at the deadline, despite many fans calling for them to be. Uh, Carol Severt remains a Cavalier, ditto for the likes of Jetty Osman, Isaac Okoro, and a few other Cavs thrown out there in trade rumors. They were, however, vigilant in the buyout market and added former Cavalier Danny Green, who saw the floor against Philadelphia right before the break. Tony, do you believe he will be a part of the rotation moving forward? And if so, who does he bump?
2: Yeah, so I hope he's a member of the rotation because I personally, I love Danny Green He's an incredible role player. He has been for the last 10 years. And in a perfect world, he's exactly what you would want on the wing there. He he can knock down threes, and he's a great perimeter defender. I will say, and I don't put too much stock into his first appearance, but I wasn't thrilled with the way he looked (laughs) uh, in terms of running. It just didn't look like he was healthy. But, of course, it's been over a year, I think, or close to a year since he played. So it's going to take a while for him to get the rust off. And I do think... You know, I think he should be able to get into the rotation. The person who we would have to beat out is probably Dean Wade or or Jetty, depending on where JB goes with that. Because I think the starters are pretty much locked in. I would be surprised if Okoro lost his spot at this point, just because we are getting down the stretch of the season. And, you know, other guys are running out of time to to beat him out. And he's just been so good there. And so you have that. I would assume Rubio and Lavert are the next two people off the bench. And at that point, you're already looking at, you know, whether it's Wade or Green, that's an eight man rotation there. And you're not going to play many more people uh, in the playoffs. So I do think if Danny Green is going to make it into the rotation, he has to beat Wade or Jetty. You never know. Jetty could still. It's weird. I don't know how JB feels about Jetty, but that's a whole other topic for another (laughs) another day. I hope Danny Green gets in, I guess, is, is where I'll leave off with that. I think he could help us. He just needs to. Prove to me that he's got a little left in the tank.
0: Trust me, Tony. We've talked about this a lot in regards to Jetty (laughs) and the relationship between (laughs) Jetty and JV. It's impossible to know what's (laughs) going on there. I don't even know if JB's
1: mom knows what he thinks about Jedi Osmond. It's a locked box.
0: I'm not sure. And I feel bad for Jedi at moments. And the other moments I feel like it's kind of warranted in regards to mm-hmm. his like constant Definitely. shuffle from the rotation. But Corey, before I give my answer to that, do you feel the same way or do you think that there is just an uphill battle for Green to make the rotation?
1: No, I think when you sign Danny Green, when you're a team like the Cavs, you you sign him with the expectation on his side and theirs that he's going to get minutes. I think, like Tony said, it's going to be a gradual work back because an ACL tear for anyone is a, a long road back, and he was not many months removed from when Ricky Rubio tore his. And I think the, the same Cavalier fans that were willing to show patience with Ricky Rubio will have to expect the same. From a Danny Green return, because Danny Green, now also in the absence of my sweet prince, Kevin Love, uh, will provide three-point <laughs> shooting whenever it's available, because Jetty Osmond, for some reason, is our most willing three-point shooter, and at times is our most efficient three-point shooter, but JB doesn't feel to recognize those skills from time to time, because we know JB's a defensive first man which is why I would expect more minutes to go towards Green's way in a playoff game where they feel like they need to get a combination of offense and defense. The Cavs role players off the bench for the most part do one role or the other. Karis Levert is kind of morphing his way into being a two-way player, but most of our bench is offensive oriented. There's not many players that you would look at outside of like Lamar Stevens, who as physical as he is, statistically is not a great defender (laughs) but we like to think that he is but at the end of the day i think danny green if his legs start to look better which a a really low bar to surpass after game (laughs) one would definitely benefit this team i think as we get into like the playoffs i would be shocked if danny green didn't at least get like 10 minutes a game
0: I think that's fair. Like the point that I'm at right now is that starting five, like Tony said, that's locked. Okura isn't going anywhere at this point in the season. I think they like what they've seen from Okoro. And I think that it speaks volumes that he was not necessarily moved at the deadline. And there wasn't a lot more talk about him being packaged together to get somebody like a uh, Gary Trent jr. Like a lot of people were kind of referring to uh, at heading up to the deadline. So I think he's good there. We we know the front court ain't going nowhere back courts, basically all stars. And then your first two off the bench in Karis and Rubio. They have those guys for a reason. You have your, your ball handler off the bench in Rubio. You have a guy in Karis Levert, who Corey, me and you talk about and, and have talked about at length about what he brings to this team that doesn't always show up in the stat sheet. And uh, for people who do pay a little bit too much attention to the box score uh, in, the, in regards to traditional stats for Levert, he adds a lot more than meets the eye. Then you have your 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 eighth, and ninth man to me, Dean Dean is a lot to me because you got rid of Kev. You, you, you let Kev walk out the door. I think purely from a size standpoint, I feel like the Cavs have gone ultra small <laughs> off the bench. Now they don't really have a true proven veteran presence there. Unless you want to count Robin Lopez, you have a couple of options. No. <laughs> you have a couple of options to roll with here. You obviously, uh, and if you want to go matchup dependent, you could roll out a Mamadi Diakite. You could roll out a Isaiah Mobley and you know, convert one of those guys. But I feel like those three are safe. Dean, uh, Rubio, and Karras. I think the guy who may be the odd man out is Jetty. Just because I feel like what he brings to the table in regards to three-point production, theoretically, much like we talk about Dylan Windler in the past... <laughs> that's what he can bring to the table. And he is also a noted defender, although he's slowed down in recent years in, in that regard. So I feel like him being able to do that, if he's able to get his feet under him, if he's able, able to shake off some of that rust, I feel like he's that guy. Um, Jetty, interestingly enough, this season is actually taking the fewest triples of uh, since his rookie season. For a game and he's knocking down 35% of those.
1: Why does it so, not feel like that's the case? <laughs> it doesn't
0: because when he's in, because I think he's had such sporadic appearances that when he he'll have some games where he's taking seven, eight, nine attempts, and then he'll get like 12, 13 minutes, and he's taking like two or three a game. Uh, just because the, the consistency is not there and it hasn't been there for him since last season. Um, you know, outside of a hot start alongside Rubio. The same thing with Kevin Love Through uh, lots of parts of last season But for him he He's the guy in my opinion If if Green is going to bump anybody It's going to be him uh, That said Obviously we keep referring to it So we might as well get to it Kevin Love man Tony I'm going to go to you first If we, we know Nine seasons is a pretty long time in the NBA um, People have mixed feelings On his tenure here in Cleveland Care to summarize yours
2: Yeah, I think you did a really good job at the beginning when you said it was complicated because when the news first broke, I was doing a little deep dive through Kevin Love's career on basketball reference. And I'm looking through the game logs and I'm expecting all of these like huge notable games to stand out to me where I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember the time when he went off against this team or he had a great performance here. And while there are definitely games like that, like he had plenty of great moments throughout his time here. What I really saw and what really kind of drove home to me was like, this was a very, very bumpy road for Kevin in Cleveland. Basically, from the day he got here, he was asked to make sacrifice after sacrifice and to fit into places where really before in his career, he didn't fit. When he was in Minnesota, he's an all NBA caliber player. The The offense is running through him. He's not asked to go stand in the corner and shoot threes. He's not really asked to do the dirty work, even though he has always been a great rebounder. He was never really, you know, it wasn't his game to defend on the perimeter. And he had to do all that in Cleveland. He was, he was asked to do things that he otherwise normally probably would have never done as a star if he stayed in Minnesota. And so obviously he, he works his butt off and he fits and he manages to help bring a championship to Cleveland And then LeBron and Kyrie leave, and it's like he has to start all over again playing an entirely new role. And again, there were many points, I think, where Kevin Love very easily could have forced his way out of Cleveland. I know there are reports that he's maybe asked or voiced frustration before in the past, but we have seen plenty of times over the last few years. If a player wants to get out of a city, they can. They could just sit and and force their way out. And for all the ups and downs Love had, he never did that. He stuck through it. And again, like I said, he wins a championship. He goes all the way back through another kind of rock bottom situation during the rebuild. And then he manages to pull himself out of that, have a six man of the year caliber season and kind of act as this veteran leader and, and really a guy who is at least a little bit deserves a little bit of credit, if not a lot of bit of credit for building this current culture that they currently have. I know a lot of people will scapegoat Kevin and they'll say that he's selfish even for this decision, which I think his decision, if it was his decision to ask for a buyout could be seen as selfish, but I also think he's earned the right to be a little selfish after all the sacrifice he's made. And I just think it's important to remember all the ups and downs he went through all of the struggle and the fact that he stuck with us up until now and really, like I said, a championship and then helped rebuild the team when he didn't have to do any of that. He could have asked for a trade or forced his way out at any point. So it's a bittersweet ending, but I feel very lucky to have had Kevin Love for nine seasons on my favorite team. I do as well. Is there one memory in particular that stands out for you from his tenure here? Of course, the stop is the first thing that comes to <laughs> mind. <laughs> I'm trying to think of others. Uh, the Portland game the outlet pass that he threw to LeBron against the Wizards. It, oh, it's all just yeah, these little around. moments. <laughs> I think that'll be my favorite thing from Kevin Love is just the outlet passes that he would zip. It's something that in the last few years has not been as successful and it's been a little frustrating at times because he's throwing it to guys who's, who aren't LeBron James. But I think that's one aspect of the game, of his game, that I'll miss the most is watching him do that. Or just the Cavalanche, if we're going to give credit where it's due. He kind of birthed the Cavalanche, him and Jetty. So mm-hmm. I think that's – uh. One of my favorite moments.
0: Absolutely, Corey. This is uh <laughs> this is one of your favorite players, man. Uh, at least you make it seem that way. So I know you are chomping at the bit to 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 lay your heart out <laughs> on the line for Kev. Tell me your thoughts on when you first when you first saw this move.
1: Um, I was baffled. <laughs> I was irate. <laughs> I still. Honestly, don't understand the move from a Cavaliers perspective. I understand it 110% from a Kevin Love perspective. I wish Kevin nothing but the best. I'm not these Cavalier fans that are <laughs> throwing rocks at glass windows, being like, man, Kevin's such a wimp for wanting to get out because of lack of minutes. How could you go to Miami? I don't know. Where did, where did Cavs fans want Kevin Love to go? Did you want him to go it's play Iberia. for San Antonio? Did you want, want him to try to, to, to be in the Wimpy Yama sweepstakes? <laughs> No, he wanted to go on a contender. And yes, it's the one team that we're probably most likely on a collision course to face in round one, which upsets me even further. I when Kevin Love got released and like you saw on Bleacher Report that they were contemplating the buyout because they knew he wanted to go to the Miami and they didn't want him to go there. So, of course, I tweeted out the Michael Scott video where he goes, you cheated on me when I specifically asked you not to. Because that's exactly like, what did you expect? You thought, well, I, like, well, I really don't want you to go there. Kevin's going to go like, oh, okay, I won't, whatever. I don't want to win a championship or have a chance to anyway. But I could sit here and be really sentimental about Kevin Love, but I really would rather just talk about how angry I am about this whole situation, <laughs> <laughs> which if you're not a fan, just skip forward to the podcast, because I have been sitting with this. I'm just still so baffled. One, the major issue of this Cavaliers entire, if you had to pinpoint what you're upset about with this Cavs season, it's the bench production, which has been borderline abysmal unless Jetty Osman decides to go nuclear from behind the line, or Karis Levert has his, like, 10 good offensive shooting nights of the entire season. Kevin Love has been, a, like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, Kevin Love's been a great shooter all year, but the idea of Kevin Love, being a three-point weapon on a team that is it has a major void on that front is one issue. We have no backcourt or frontcourt depth, which is a huge issue within itself now. So now we're going to go like Max alluded to, we're going to go into a playoff series with the options of either Dean Wade, the corpse of Robin Lopez, D Diakite, who was playing in the preseason for a roster spot. The
0: disrespect. <laughs> you know, that's my boy, man.
1: Yeah, I know. We have an open roster spot for who God knows what, Serge Ibaka, which is like the same version of Kevin Love, if not worse.
0: <laughs> so, As y'all can tell, Corey's been sitting on this for quite some time, ready, ready just, to explode. Wh- one, also, you knew he was going to go to the Eastern Conference –
1: He's going to Miami. Miami was the third worst three-point shooting team in the league. If Kevin Love's broken hand miraculously healed like the Miami Heat video tweeted out earlier today shows, Uh it looks like they got a decent amount of three-point shooting back. Do you think he did that to fuck us? (laughs) I think – That the Cavaliers fucked us, if I'm being quite honest with you. (laughs) I might be having my red and my wine and gold glasses on, but it truly is like mind boggling that this is what has transpired because there is no backup. I'm more upset now that we don't have a backup big as well, because we can't just go and hope that Dean Wade, who, by the way, has been awful since he returned
2: um, <laughs> no, is going to be the one that. We're Not supposed to talk about that yet. <laughs> we, we We're don't supposed to keep that, that under. Man. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Kevin love replacement, which no offense to Dean. He's just had like, he's coming back from injury. Who knows? Maybe this time off is going to heal his wounds, but he has looked terrible. And that who's who the, the rumors are coming out that they didn't like how Kevin love couldn't guard guards. But now Dean Wade, who was literally a revolving door on defense for the past few weeks is the one that we're putting in that spot. I, I don't know, man. I, I'm just okay. going to end my rant here. Cause I could go for hours.
0: I, I appreciate the, the candor. I really do. Just to kind of paint a, uh, a picture here for you, Corey, Kevin love 35.4% on the season in regards to three point range. And he has considerable volume. That's, that's a respectable percentage. Um, I, I, I I'll say that. I think it's a respectable percentage on, I want to say uh, 4.8 attempts per game. That's not bad. He can still space the floor. He is obviously hampered by that thumb injury. That is one thing that kind of put the nail in the coffin for him. We know what the book is on him defensively. He can be exposed in the pick and roll as has been written about a million times. He will be exposed. (laughs) Dean Wade. (laughs) We hope now if we have to play Miami, we hope that's the case, but Dean Wade, conversely, is is not necessarily having a bad season, but I don't think like when you're looking at his numbers from three point range, thirty eight point seven percent, but he's only averaging five and a half points per game on the season. And I know that that's a huge point of contention in regards to the bench production is like the lack one of consistency and two the lack of a ton of production. Some of that is due to the minute staggering that they have with the starters. Uh, playing such heavy minutes. Other part of that is the pace that the Cavs play with. There's just not a lot of uh, points to go around off that bench. So I, I don't know what the plan is. I know you would like to bring in a backup big, as you alluded to. Personally, at this point in time, just looking at the options that are out there on the free agent market, Corey, I am okay with converting Mamadi Diakite's contract to for the rest of the season. I'm okay with that because I feel – that's short of an injury or a matchup dependency, then they're not going that deep. I think you have your four. I, I think I would love to see Mama D, uh get an opportunity or if the Cavs were to bring in like a Hassan Whiteside or somebody like that. But I just don't see them going that deep. <laughs> so I think like the Kevin Love buyout, whether it was requested or not, I just – it doesn't it doesn't move me as much as uh, as it is clearly moving you. <laughs> I think it's mostly because you're just sad to see him out of wine and gold. Uh but I'm just not there just because I feel like his days in the rotation were done. Like and it, it is unfortunate because I do feel like the hand injury was was really the the nail in the coffin. And who knows how much he has left in the tank. I just I don't think that he would have played another game here. So why not let him go out? Because um, in my opinion, I think he did it respectfully. Um, he, he didn't cry his way out of town. He didn't demand a trade <laughs> uh, as far as we know. Uh, but the buyout request is a professional way to go about it. Um, and that was a a hefty ask, even if he did request a trade, for, for them to move on from 28 plus mil. Uh, that, that's a hell of an ask right there. <laughs> I had a hard time imagining there was any team willing to part With significant pieces, uh, just to take on that expiring. That's just (laughs) beat.
1: If there was ever a team that's going to turn Kevin Love from a rags to riches story, like they do with most of these veterans that look washed, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't. Miami is the number one spot where Kevin Love could look at his best again. So
0: it's warm weather.
1: (laughs) in, In terms of Kevin, this is great for him. In terms of me, I'm getting a therapist.
0: (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> <laughs> what there you have it, Corey He's
0: experiencing all the emotions, man Uh, One of the things that has me feeling good Moving forward about the departure of Kevin And I don't know if that's the right way of putting it, But at least I feel better knowing that we have uh, A unicorn on the roster and, and Evan Mobley And he is He entered the season with monumental expectations And although the production Although still up, you know, especially in the efficiency department, it's not exactly where a lot of people envisioned it to be prior to the Mitchell deal. Uh, But even with that being said, he's been just so impactful since entering the league. It doesn't always show up in the traditional boss score stats. But when you look at what he brings to this Cavaliers team as currently constructed, Tony, where would you rank him in terms of importance moving
2: forward? Importance moving forward? Mm -hmm probably the most important player moving forward I think right now he's he's a little deeper down that list but if you want to talk about what, you know what this team has hopes for in the future which is competing for a title I think Mobley is probably the most important not just because he has the potential to be the most talented one but in a way he also has the farthest to go like Garland Mitchell and Allen are already established to a degree Mobley is himself of course too but there's just so much potential there and his ceiling is so high that if he's even able to tap into 75% of that, this team becomes just frightening for, for opponents every night because he's already about as close as you can get to being the full package defensively. I mean, it really does blow my mind just watching him play defense every night, watching the highlights, watching the way he blocks shots, uh, I personally feel so offended that he's not in the defensive player of the year running. I don't understand that at all. No disrespect to anyone else, but I don't know how you can watch Brook Lopez and think that he's impacting the game the same way Mobley is, but that's another day. Uh, But yeah, I mean, defensively, he's already there. He's a superstar defensively. When you look at his offense, it's a little difficult for him to get those touches right now with the way this team is set up and the pace that they play at but he's showing you pretty much everything you could hope for reasonably with his current situation. Like I know some people wanted him to be shooting three pointers and doing all this crazy stuff at this point, but from a reasonable standpoint, he's shooting almost 60%. He's killing it in the paint. He's he's been one of the most unstoppable players when he catches the ball down there in the league this season, he's expanding his range slowly. The three point shot is still not there. The mid-range numbers aren't the most encouraging, but when you watch him play, there's just some moments where when he's really rolling, that mid-range shot looks money. He's putting the ball on the floor. He's more confident. And I think the biggest thing for him that's happened this season, and it happened around January, is it looks like the game has just really slowed down for him. And he's starting to see things that he didn't when he was a rookie or even at the start of this season where he kind of has the sixth sense on defense that he had basically from day one where he can just uh, read plays and jump ahead of it before anyone else. And now we're seeing that translate to his offensive game where when he catches the ball, he already knows what he's going to do. He already knows he's dribbling to the right and then spinning back or he's shooting that post hook, or he's going to hop into a layup, or he's going to hit someone on the short roll. Those are those little decisions where before you could tell he was catching the ball and thinking about it. Now it's just second instinct. He's catching it and he's going right to work. And so the more he grows on that, and again, I think offense is going to be the biggest thing for him. The more he expands on his offense, the farther this team is going to be able to go. I mean, I, I really think this there, there's almost no ceiling for a player like Mobley, and that makes him the most important player uh, just alone. Absolutely. He's averaging 15.7
0: points, 8.9 rebounds, 2.7 assists, 1.4 blocks, 55.1% from the field, nearly career highs across the board, although he's only been in the league two years. Uh, And a huge reason for the Cavs having such a highly rated defense. If there was anything at all that you could add to his game, what would you like to see him add?
2: Probably the three point shot, but I would even just be happy with him really making a a little home for himself in the mid range. I think that's more realistic. Uh, it's not the most ideal thing because obviously if, if he's able to knock down the three, you space the floor much better. But I really do love the idea of having a seven footer who can just post up and get a shot anytime he wants in the mid range. And as much as the analytics say that the mid range isn't a good shot, it's it's one hell of a go-to shot when you need a bucket, and even Donovan Mitchell will tell you that. The, whenever Mitchell's struggling, the first play the Cavs run is that little screen on the elbow for him to get a mid-range shot. And so, if Mobley can get that going, or like I said, a fadeaway from the mid-range, when you're seven feet tall and you have arms like that, it, it's unblockable. <laughs> you're you're gonna score ninety percent of the time. So, I think that's the most realistic thing that you could ask for and that's what i would be most excited for is to see him really start to build a home there because he's flashing the potential like i said the num the the numbers aren't the most encouraging i'm not sure what they are off the top of my head but i know he's still not shooting the best percentage from mid-range but he's had moments and he's had games where he's just killed teams from the mid-range and of course when you do that it, it becomes a lot harder to guard him because he he also has a pretty quick first step on him for a seven footer so yeah i would say the mid-range if he could develop that that's what i would ask for that's awesome yeah i'd love to see that too i know
0: a lot of people would have gone with that three-point shot um and i personally um i like to see him take them when they're open but if he never truly develops a consistent three-pointer as long as he continues to develop elsewhere if he can get that midi that'd be a pretty awesome sight to see cory two to three years from now do you think mobley will be the best player on the Cavs?
1: Yeah, based on the trajectory he's going right now, I mean, like Tony said, he has the highest ceiling on this team. I think Donovan Mitchell is at like where he's going to be for his next few years. Darius he- has like, <laughs> well, yeah, in the sense that he's one of the best players in the NBA. I guess that's an okay peak to settle at. <laughs> uh, Darius has a little room to grow, but that's just like. Again, like Darius doesn't have the ability to be in the conversation for best players in the end like one of the top five players in the n b a Mobley could have a case that he could be in the top five within two to three years if he just keeps going at the pace he's going at. I mean from affecting the ball both ways if um if I could go back to your question about a thing I would like to add for Mobley, I would like to see more of uh, ball handling be added to his skill set because we all know he has the vision <laughs> of a guard and we see stuff with Denver where they're able to run these offensive sets with Jokic where you can just have Jokic and four shooters and just watch that offense go is crazy because Jok- having a basically a seven foot guard at the end of the day is one of the biggest weapons that you can have offensively in the NBA and if, if that attached with Mobley's vision and ability to be connective tissue just as a secondary option. It feels whether it's big to big or because the biggest strength for the Cavs would be offensively if they can get Darius and Donovan more off ball opportunities to shoot. Cause they're both good catch and shoot options. And the only way that's really feasible right now through an outlet is if we have them share the floor with Ricky Rubio, which is not going to remotely Uh, the defensive value if you have those same sets going with Mobley and that's where I feel like if Mobley can unlock that part of his game because yes he can dribble like decent for a big because he's nimble he's quick-footed he's light on his feet but At the same time, like you wouldn't expect Mobley to take someone out and ISO them and hope (laughs) to break down a defense to kick it out to the opposite
0: corner. Only if he senses that, because we've seen him at points like when he feels ultra confident, uh, when he feels like he has a matchup that he can beat and exploit. He'll try it, but oftentimes when that is the case, due to just general clumsiness, he will—he is prone to turning the ball over in those circumstances. And you just see so many tweets on Gav's Twitter about, "Oh man, hand the rock, hand the rock off, pass the ball, don't let Mobley handle." But I, I do agree with you in, that, in regards to that sentiment. And unlike Jokic, Mobley can actually get off of his
2: feet. <laughs>
1: Uh, first off, how dare you? It's a two time MVP, <laughs> probably a third, because it doesn't seem like they want to be to win the award ever.
0: So, oh man, I, I the sky is the limit, like Tony said, uh, for this kid. I, I really hope that he ends up becoming everything that we think he can be. Uh, but in regards to that, a big portion of that is the man in charge, the guy who can help get him there, and that is JB Bickerstaff. Tony, when I look at Bickerstaff's tenure as head coach, uh, I like to separate it into two separate categories, before Mobley and after Mobley. And so for those of you who may have forgotten, Bickerstaff took over for, as head coach after the ousting of John Beeline, <laughs> the now infamous head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, he compiled a record of 27 and 56 in the 83 games before Evan Mobley was on the roster. Doesn't sound great when you really look at the totality of that, but you have to consider all the details that are encompassed within that. But since acquiring Mobley, he is 82 and 61. We all know it takes talent to win in consistently in this league. So first off, give me your honest evaluation on the job that bigger staff has done so far.
2: Yeah, well, I've always said that JB is an average coach at worst. And what I mean by that is a lot of people like to... I mean, we're we're all on Cavs Twitter. We see after a loss the way that people call for him to be fired. And he's the worst coach in the league and he can't do this and that. And it's like, are there moments where JB maybe makes questionable decisions in the rotations? Yes. Are there certain plays after a timeout where I'm like, maybe that wasn't the best drawn-up play? Of course. But I really... So much of where the Cavs are now has to be at least a little bit credited to Bickerstaff, and so it's just hard for me to look at him as anything other than, like I said, an average coach at worst. At his best, I think he's a brilliant defensive mind. I think uh, I love that you brought up before Mobley and after Mobley because uh, Bickerstaff is a a defensive-minded coach, and so when you give him someone like Mobley kind of this Swiss Army knife who can make up for Darius Garland in the past, Colin Sexton, you know, an, an undersized and not a great backcourt defensively. And of course you add Mitchell to that. You, you give him someone like Mobley, you can make up for all that and keep you in the game defensively. I think is one area where now we're starting to see JB grow as an offensive coach because they're not getting killed by 20 points anymore. And there actually is some pressure on him to cook up a, a couple different plays <laughs> on offense. And I've like, when it comes to Mitchell and Garland now, I've loved watching all the different sets that they're running with those two. The handoffs, screening for each other, using them as decoys, watching the bigs play together on the short roll. and just I feel like JB never gets enough credit for some of the plays and, and the sets that he's cooked up. And so, yeah, I think in the long run, is JB the guy who's going to get them over the top? I don't know. We'll see. I'm very interested to see what he looks like in the playoffs when he has to face the same team and the same coach over and over. How will his adjustments look? But as of right now, in terms of the culture and, and where they are at this stage, and if you even want to call it a rebuild anymore, I'll just say the stage in the process of going <laughs> towards a title, JB is the guy. I don't know who else you're going to bring in that's going to do what he's doing right now any better in the future. If they hit, hit a wall and they need a coaching change, we can discuss it. But right now, I don't see, I know this wasn't the question that you asked, but I don't see any reason why anyone would want to fire him. And personally, I'm, I'm, the number one guy there to defend JP on Twitter when it comes down to it.
0: I'm right there with you. And that was going to be my second, uh, my follow-up question to that. Do you consider this to be a make or break season for him?
2: Uh, no, not at all. I think like it would have to be good. It would have to go very, very poorly in the playoffs for it to be a, a make or break season for him. I think as long as they're competitive, uh if they make it to the second round he's good for sure as long as they're competitive in the first round if they like i said if they lose in seven to a miami or another team that i don't know what the matchups would be but as long as jb doesn't completely collapse i would be shocked if he got fired uh moving forward like next year maybe if there's a, a disappointment in the playoffs or if they just are again a second round exit maybe we'll discuss it but for now, no, I don't. I don't think it's make or break for anyone this season. I, I still very much view this as year one. A lot of people might view last year's year one because it was the breakout, but I think Mitchell changes everything. The expectations are very, very different now. So I think we're just figuring it out. And I know people don't like to hear that because they want to have expectations, they want to be disappointed and, and blame someone. But <laughs> I, I'm not expecting this team to win a championship. So if they make it to the second round, if they make it to the conference finals. I'm cool with it, and I'm just excited to see where they're going to go. If they want to readjust next year, then I'm all for it. We'll, we'll see when we get there. But right now, I think we need to see what this team is capable of.
0: My man, I'm right there. House money, in my opinion, that this team is playing with this year. There are uh, there is a certain level of expectation. I feel like a first round, a competitive first round series, like you indicated, but I don't think that. A lot would have to go wrong, like like shit would have to go down in order for <laughs> uh, for for j. b. Bickerstaff to, to find himself on the hot seat. Corey, I know we've talked about this a lot over the course of the uh the last two seasons and whatnot. Uh, but now that we have this all star break upon us, now that you've been able to collect your thoughts in regards to more than just the Kevin Love <laughs> uh, yes. buy up are you it, give me your honest opinion on j b. s tenure here so far? I think JB's done
1: a phenomenal job. I mean, like uh, Tony said, the, the Cavs pre-Mobley had none of what JB's strengths really were. I mean, they had not what, many did, building
2: Like Andre Drummond?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that was such a fun building block. What a fun 30-plus games that was. <coughs> uh, thank God he didn't uh, take that uh, extension that was offered to him. Um, but at the end of the day, um having jb is probably the best thing that's happened for this cavaliers team because they're doing what he excels at if they were struggling defensively with the roster they have under jb bickerstaff i would 100% be at the front of the line saying all right jb can go because obviously what he his bread and butter is is not resonating with these guys but here we are. The Cavs might play one of the slowest paces in the NBA offensively, but they also play one of the more dominant defensive uh, teams in the NFL, uh, the NBA every night. They know what their strengths are. They play to those strengths. And I, I know people will probably laugh and roll their eyes, but I feel like the arrival of Luke Walton acknowledged the idea that JB knows that he was challenged offensively and he sought to bring in offensive talent. I know Luke Wallen's kind of a joke from his head coaching 10 years in his past plays, but those teams have always done pretty well offensively for the most part. Like Sacramento didn't let him go because their offense stunk. He let them go because they were a defensive sieve night to night. And that's why they lost a the majority of their games. I mean, I kind of am at this roadmap with JB where, I think his worst case scenario is that he finishes his tenure in Cleveland in the same way that Mark Jackson ended his tenure in Golden State, where he built up a team from ground zero with building blocks to the point where he takes that team to the point where it can go. But then they have to make a pivot. To somewhere to a different perspective. Like the Cavs aren't going to let JB go to hire another defensive coach. If they feel confident that Mobley and Allen understand their defensive roles, they're going to switch for like a Mike Booneholzer type or some offensive mastermind coach that's going to completely unlock something else that this Cavs team isn't already doing because that's the only direction you could really go with the way the team is right now.
0: I think. That is an excellent way of putting it. Um, Time will tell, like Tony said earlier, if Bickerstaff is the guy to get them over the hump. I'm not going to throw that expectation on him just yet because JB, although he has experience even prior to being hired uh, by Cleveland, I'm just not sure he's that caliber yet. But I do think that he does not get enough credit. That's the one thing that has consistently stuck with me, um, you know, when this when this team is facing rough times, when they're going through a losing streak or they're just not winning consistently enough for fans liking. Is that this man just does not get enough credit. Um, and it, it often seems like when the losses pile up, everybody's commenting on it. When the Cavs are winning, nobody's giving him credit. <laughs> Nobody is giving him credit outside of the select few of us here. Um, that, that actually respects the job that he's been able to do. So, you know, time will tell what he's able to do, the the the, the heights that he's able to uh, bring the Cavs to, but I'm really rooting for him moving forward. And we know that Cavs' schedule should be softening up here in the second half, and they have the opportunity to climb. And I'm hoping they get one of those top three seeds. But, again, time will tell. <sighs> Man, Tony, thanks for coming on and being a sounding board for us. Thanks, guys. I appreciate uh, the invite, man. Always good to talk Cavs basketball with a fellow podcaster. You guys can check out Tony Pesta's podcast.
2: You're on Fear the Sword's network. Yeah, uh, there will be an update (laughs) to that, though. I don't know if you saw my tweet. I Uh, did. (laughs) He did. (laughs) The Junkyard
1: Podcast.
2: (laughs) Yes, we are rebranding. I will no longer be with Fear the Sword officially because – unfortunately i was part of the the podcast was part of the layoffs recently so they will be giving me the credentials to the podcast Mm -hmm. if anyone subscribed to it it'll still be the same it'll just be a rebrand chain so it'll no longer be the bottom it is going to be called the junkyard pod and so yeah i'll be doing that over there and uh you guys are both welcome to come on anytime you have free time and we'll get something going there man it's been an interesting journey to start my my <laughs> podcast career here. <laughs> what Absolutely. a rise and a
0: fall. <laughs> Only to yeah. rise
2: again. Very short lived. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Phoenix, we're retiring this early. <laughs> Phoenix. That said, as we always tell you guys, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can at its cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you'd like to be added to the It's Cavalier Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send a screenshot of said review to it's cavalier53 at gmail.com and we'll send you an invite. Corey, I didn't fuck that up.
1: <laughs> Good job.
0: I didn't fuck it up this time. I always do, Tony. <laughs> uh, it, it it's it's literally the worst. Uh, that said, go Cavs, have a good night.